just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds. Hey, sports fans, welcome to Sports Nerds. Here are your hosts, Dr. Samuel J. and Dr. Brian Schrader. No, it probably is. Oh, somebody's. Ooh, a, a ring and a knock. Oh my God. It must be a package. That was hardcore. Yeah, it was. We've left a package for you. So the, the nerds of sport are here, everybody, as you slow roll into this wonderful conversation. Um, it's been a couple weeks, but we're trying to make this more consistent. How are things in Michigan, Brian Trader? Oh, they're pretty good. Snowing a little bit. Yeah? A little snow? Just a little bit. Have you skied? It kind of like flurried all day, but nothing else. I don't think I've asked you this. Have you skied since you moved there? Uh, yeah, twice. It's where, where do you really, go? really bad. Where do you have to go for it's it? It's like, um, say again? Where do you have to go to ski? I was, yeah, so I was about to say, it's like, um, it's kind of weird because it's very close. Like, there's two, I almost said mountains, but that would be <laughs> inaccurate. There are two, uh, two hills. One of them's like, I don't know, 10 minutes away, maybe. Uh, and the other one's like 25, Mount Holly and Mount Brighton. Mount Brighton is actually owned by Vail. Yeah, so if you like an epic pass, you can um, come out here and use it. My parents did it once. They came out for over the Super Bowl a couple of years ago, and we all went skiing at Mount Brighton. Are you serious? That's awesome. Yeah, it's terrible. It's terrible though. Mount Holly. I don't know if you like look it up on the internet or something. I don't know if it's true. You could ask our mutual friend uh, Dan Lair about it. the The urban legend about Mount Holly is that it was like a landfill where they just piled dirt up forever and ever and ever. And then they put like dirt on top of it and it became a ski hill. Um, one of the other versions I've heard is that it's um, not a landfill, but that it was like they ripped up this long stretch of highway and they piled all like the rubble in a, in a big, in a big freaking pile uh, and turned it into, I guess, a, a, a ski hill. You can see it from like 30 miles away because it's pretty flat out here and you just have this random, 500 foot mountain it's probably not even that they're not even that tall but isn't michigan it's like like, it's angled like a ski hill on the front and then the back is just like a vertical cliff because it's not it's not not natural at all but michigan is like it's pretty awesome michigan's kind of known for its cross-country skiing right like i feel like um yeah i think michigan tech has won a bunch of national titles yeah cross-country skiing and snowshoeing and lots of winter sports you know ice fishing and snow machining and that sort of stuff man like what's a snow machine wait never heard like that snowmobiling snowmobile snow thank yeah. you thank you same same diff no um, i where did you hear i've never heard it called a snow machine so we need man, to stop down and then, <laughs> i feel i feel bad talking shit about michigan skiing because i don't think people out here appreciate it i think i come off as kind of snobby yeah. But whenever I do it to Michigan people, like I was, I was saying with a buddy last night and we were talking about skiing. And I was like, man, I don't want to go. It's just, it's crappy. And, and you know, he kind of was like, yeah, you're, you sound like a ski, like a Colorado ski snob. And I told him, I was like, sure. But if, if, if Michigan people saw the way that people in Colorado go boating, they would feel the exact same way. Like these little tiny cold ass man-made puddles that, that people boat in in Colorado. Whereas, you know, there's 50 huge lakes 
in in the town that I live in. So it's just you know just a different just a different thing. The skiing man, I could talk about it for an hour. There's so many just silly things like the Mount Holly that's down the street from my house. In terms of skiable acres, it's like five or something like that. It's tiny, but it has a like seven or eight chairlifts that are totally unnecessary. It's like the chairlifts are 15 feet apart. (laughs) They don't, they don't take you anywhere different and they're insanely slow. Um, And then also they boast, they're like, Oh, this, this ski hill has, you know, 50 runs or something like that. No, it has one run. Like they've given the run different names in like 10 foot segments from the top to the bottom. They have some labeled green and some labeled black diamond. And it's just a sled hill, man. And like, it's all green. Yeah, I feel bad. No, it's fine. What this is actually you can night ski though. I never night skied in Colorado, but I have night skied out here. I wrote this down. I wanted to talk to you about skiing in Colorado. So this is actually a perfect transition because I wanted to know like you grew up here. You are a avid skier in Colorado. I mean you you and Jay and Meg grew up skiing all the time with your parents. What do you think about the state of Colorado's attempt to salvage a ski season? Because I was up in Breck last or two weeks ago, right? Catherine and the girls are up there now. Everybody's from out of state. Like there are so many Texas cars. This is a sport. Skiing is a sport. Snowboarding is a sport. Is it one of those things where like a Vail Resorts kind of drives these decisions and the state yeah. doesn't want to step in. Like, what do you think as a, as a Colorado native, are we, are we fucking up by making sure that we are opening the slopes and, and, and open for business from like a public health perspective? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I had heard like, um, my brother had told me a little bit, a little bit about, you know, the way that you had to like sign up to, you it's not unlimited capacity. Right. Mm-hmm you have to reserve a spot to go skiing or something like that. But one of the things that I'd heard too, and I can't remember where was that um, if you're staying on the property that essentially backdoors you in to being able to ski, right? Like you kind of get to cut in line. So from a business perspective, it makes sense, right? If you're Vail or whoever, or Keystone or something like that, and you still want people to come and stay in your hotel, and I don't know if eating in your restaurants is a thing at this point or not, you know, stay, staying on your property, then you can't, these people aren't going to come to not ski. So you have to let them kind of cut to the front of the line. That may be why you're seeing folks from Texas or whatever. Right? But do you think, okay. But I guess my question is, do you think that it's the commercialization of skiing, not just here in Colorado, but across the country, you know, in Tahoe, in Vermont, that has allowed that it, that has basically made it impossible for a Breckenridge to just say, no, we're only going to accept our local folks and because you, I, I mean, my point is like, there's so much money in it now. Yeah. Right? Well, so when you were a kid and you were, and you were skiing there, it was kind of a quaint little place. Like there's a reason why a Loveland is able to be a little, I would say a little bit more precautious, you know, a lot of the yeah. basin than one of those big, bigger resorts. I don't know. What do you, what do you think? There's, there's some interesting history about a lot of that stuff. Like I, I've, I've made this comment to, to people before that, you know, I grew up skiing, skied a ton and you know, the eighties the and nineties and stuff like that. And honestly, it, it wasn't that popular back in the day. And my dad, my dad always tells me stories that in the seventies and eighties that a lot of those ski resorts were really struggling. Um, and that snowboarding was kind of the salvation that you had this weird 
period in the 80s and 90s where not all ski resorts allowed for snowboarding, like Breckenridge for a while, I believe, Vail, a lot of those places, you weren't allowed to snowboard because they had this, you know, this, this, I don't know, myth or misconception that all snowboarders were, you know, knuckle draggers who were, you know, bad for the reputation and they were, you know, stoners and whatever else. I don't know what all the, the, the sort of negative all true, things about all snowboarders true. were. Um, and then you had different places like A-Basin that sort of opened their doors um, to the sort of surfer snowboarder um, kind of culture. And that, that sort of, that sort of saved a lot of these ski resorts from going under was this surge in popularity brought on by snowboarding and, you know, alternative sports and X games and, 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 and that sort of stuff. Um, there's a separate thing that I've always thought was pretty interesting that um, it actually ties into COVID pretty interestingly that, that I don't know if you know this, the state of Colorado has carved out um, liability exemptions for ski resorts. Um, no. If you ever looked at the back of your ski pass or a ski um, lift ticket, uh, it's capped how much you can, if you get hurt there, you can't yeah. sue them for like millions and millions of dollars, even if they're being negligent. Um, and it's carved out in Colorado state law. And the reason for that was because uh, they wouldn't be economically viable if anybody who got hurt could sort of could sue them. Right. Does that make sense? So yeah. um, I haven't been, I haven't been in Denver in six years. I haven't lived in Denver in six years, but it used to be back in the day you would drive down and see advertisements on billboards for uh, personal injury lawyers, where if someone skied into you, you wouldn't sue a basin or Loveland or whatever you would, you could sue the person who who ran into you. That is born in part from these like liability protections from um, from the state, right? Uh, no the reason shit. I say it ties into COVID is um, this is politics, not sports. But one of the big debates about the second relief package is whether or not it should include those same types of protections for employers, right? Should should the new relief bill say if you if you get sick? Uh, with COVID and die or, or, you know, something terrible happens to you. Um, you shouldn't be able to re Republicans want the, the relief bill to have a provision that says you can't hold your uh, employers responsible. Oh, no shit. How do you yeah. know all this stuff? That's pretty crazy. I just Are know you? weird things, man. I drink and I know things. That's, That's a game of Thrones reference that you wouldn't get because you're too cool for. I'm glad <laughs> you were, you were at, we didn't even play this episode, but you're walking into my transitions because with everybody at the J House, I have been catching up on stuff that nobody else wants to watch. Have you watched Murder on Middle Beach? No. No, oh, it's good. It's good. Is it? I've never even heard yeah, of it. Yeah, it's an HBO Max. That's show. the sound of me Googling this stuff. Was uh -huh. it Murder? Uh huh. It's murder? Uh, oh, Murder on Middle, not on the Orange. Yeah. Place. No. No. Middle Beach. It's good. Did you watch uh, The Undoing? I haven't watched that either. So I switched to um, YouTube TV from whatever I had before sling or something else uh, because I needed red zone. And when I did, I lost my HBO. So I haven't watched any HBO oh, for like two or three months. I'll switch back once football's over. So what's football? I'm a, I'm a, well, yeah. Cause I need red zone. I'm just you, a, a, a streaming slut. I'll just go. Yeah. You refuse to like illegally stream stuff. You were, you refuse to illegally stream stuff. <laughs> That's an office joke, right? I would, but I don't know how. <laughs> I've told you. I'm saying wait. Everyone says they're like, just go to uh, whatever it is, Reddit or something. And even Reddit confuses me. Yeah, I'm not a huge Reddit guy. Um, I even more, more I of like an eight chan person. I'm of eight chan. Borrowing like other people's logins to legitimate sites. I'm afraid like I'm gonna get a a letter from CBS All Access. Having known you now for several years in a very kind of close friendship, I'm amazed by how ethical you actually are. <laughs> 
I, I mean, there are a like, lot of things that don't make sense. <laughs> either I'm super ethical or I'm just like hyper paranoid about getting in trouble. Remember, raised raised super duper Catholic, right? Recovering Catholic. So that is true. That that's is true. The, the the first ten years of your Catholic upbringing is just guilt, shame. <laughs> Let's wrap up our, our our skiing conversation real quick. <laughs> no, 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 not this. But there's more stuff I want to kind of pick your brain about. But I've been reading stuff with your brother um, in terms of like Denver Business Journal stuff. Aspen is struggling bad with this whole thing because nobody's flying into Aspen. I mean, this is, this is the time of year when an Aspen makes millions of dollars and nobody's there. So I guess you should come out and we'll just go to Aspen, I guess, and hang out with Harry and Lloyd. I was, I was, I was going to say, and we're supposed to feel bad. I know. (laughs) But I mean, I feel bad for the people who live there, right? Like (laughs) I, I feel bad having spent enough time there and I know you have too, right? We've talked about it, but I feel bad for the people who work at the J bar or work at, you know, some of those good restaurants in town. And you, you know that this is their money-making month and they're just, yeah. There. I mean, there's not going to be. Well, I mean, I, so I, I, you, I can, you can both feel bad for the people, but also, I don't know, sort of say if you've, if you've made your money, if you're a, a, a veil or a, an Aspen or whatever, and you've made your money catering to out of state, ultra wealthy, super elite people, and and sort of closing yourself off to local Denver skiers who instead go to Breckenridge and that sort of thing, like sort of fuck you, I guess. No, I mean the local. <laughs> I mean the people who are who are yeah, the bartenders, yeah, yeah, and the servers and all of that, which is obviously, a, I mean that's a that's a massive problem with the new or lack thereof of a new. No, definitely stimulus package and all of that. I mean, this is a sports podcast. We we attempt to talk about sports, but um. There's going to be a shitload of breweries closing down here in town and restaurants and all of that. And it just kind of, it sucks and things are getting worse. So skiing is in a lot of ways, um, a good area of study when it yeah. comes to that. But No, I mean, I don't even know if I told you this, but we have plane tickets bought. I was going to bring out, you know, Jill and I and the kids were going to, are supposed to come out in uh, end of February, beginning of March. Yeah. And it was meant to be a ski trip and we don't even know if we'd be able to get on the hill, you know? <laughs> yeah. So we may just may just have to cancel that and stick around here and sit around. It sucks. Yeah. It but I mean, I'll come out there and see you maybe this summer. We got to plan our trip to Europe to go watch some EPL stuff. Yeah. Let's let's talk about number two before we get to the big thing. What are you doing as a father with kids' activities? Because we are we just pulled Iris out of her gymnastics. Um, I don't know if that people are being safe here that much. I mean, what are you, what are you doing with, with the kids? Are they still doing yeah. their activities and all that? How do you, how do you and Jill talk about it? No, we're fully shut down. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I was having a conversation with a different mutual friend of ours, John Reef, about, you know, how, how strict the shutdown stuff is, the COVID protocols are in Denver versus um, out here in Michigan. And he sort of was telling me that he thought that people have the impression that Michigan is like the wild west that we have like no limitations whatsoever. Because I think some of like the crazier protest stuff got highlighted earlier in the year. Um, like trying to kill your governor. Yeah, 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 exactly. Paints us in a certain light. Um, but it's really, really shut down. Um, no restaurants, no gyms, no bars. Um, all athletics are shut down. They, um, they, they were 
we had two or three weeks weeks left in the high school football season. They shut that down uh, like days before the state championship tournament for swimming and, and gymnastics. They shut that, that down. My daughter swims um, for a club team basically year round that shut down. Uh, they did, they did go to Indiana for a meet cause they're open, but we pulled her out of that, but she can't practice. I mean, no pools are open. My son plays for a travel baseball team. He's supposed to be having uh, bi-monthly workouts. Those are shut down. So yeah, we're doing, I mean, nothing, man, nothing at all. Holy shit. Wow. Yeah. Okay. No, we just hang out around the house and uh, that's about it. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's really, there's nothing you can do out here. So there's not even a choice. Like you're not even, it's, 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 they're not putting that on you to make that choice as a parent. Nope. Just yeah. Okay. Right. Fully shut down. And how are the kids taking it? Um, they're okay. You know, kids are resilient. So does that mean you're in the backyard throwing baseballs around and, and, and doing a lot of swimming in the snow? We've had like this seasonably unseasonably warm kind of end of fall. Yeah. Up until this week where we were pretty much able to pound out the online schoolwork in the morning and then go outside and walk the dog or go outside and play in the backyard or the front yard or something. But it is the temperatures have now dropped. <laughs> so we're now, you know, the highs are around freezing or lower every single day. So limited outdoor time. <laughs> now we're just trying to not step on each other's toes in the house. You are probably the smartest person I know. Are you worried about this long-term on our kids? Or do you think that they're resilient enough that you had said resilient, you know, 30 seconds, a minute ago, but do you honestly believe that they're going to be okay? Or, or is this year going to have an effect on them that is long lasting? Yeah. I mean, it, de- it depends on if you mean academically or if you mean socially. Or I mean, socially, I mean, just yeah, developmentally. It's, it's all, it's all of it. Right. Um, no, I mean like my biggest concern is two or three years down the road, my kids are in middle school or, or, or high school after that. And they just developmentally didn't get all the math that they needed or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, I think in, in a handful of years when they're confused by algebra, it'll be really easy to look back and be like, well, they had to teach themselves long division. My daughter did in fourth grade with me as her, as her tutor, right? Like she didn't really have a fair shake. Um, I, to a lesser degree, I have the same fear about athletics. Both my kids are like, pretty competitive little athletes. They do, they both do, you know, travel sports at a young age. So yeah, missing out on winter development for baseball and, and my daughter, it's the longest she hasn't swam. And since she was like five or six, wow. To, to not have swam for the last six weeks is very, very weird for her. Um, and, you know, I think it can be tough on athletes of all ages. If you're used to working out a ton and burning a lot of calories and you kind of don't really have the same options for doing it. I think she's kind of like me. Like I, you know, I, I was really into sports and in, all through high school and even a little bit into college, but it was the social element for me that made it okay. But like by myself, I would never, you know, I was a competitive runner up through college, but I never go run by myself. <laughs> it was fun to run because I'd go run with my friends. You know what I mean? So yeah, yeah I think it's rough. I mean, what do you, th- what do you think about that same question? I suppose. I think because um, it's harder for you if you have to make the choice to pull your kids out, that sucks because then yeah. you have to, you know, kind of, well, I think sense. I think you understand what we're going through. You and Jill understand what Kevin and I are going through because Iris is in a sport that is very similar to what what Madeline is is in, which is gymnastics. Which is like, if she misses two months of gymnastics, like that's a massive setback. Uh, not to say, hey, we're gonna you know you're going to go to college to on a gymnastics scholarship or anything like this, but 
Like that's huge. You know, like it's, and, and, and now, you know, considering moving and, or, you know, moving, we, we've taken all the equipment out of the house and all this stuff. But if she's not like with a coach, it's like, holy shit, what are those two months going to cost her if she's out for two months or even Odette living soccer at the age of five, missing a soccer season and she loves soccer. That's huge. Like developmentally, that's so massive. And we don't know anything about soccer. <laughs> like I can't teach my kids soccer. I can't teach them gymnastics. So yeah. I worry about basically hindering their development, not because I want them to get like college scholarships, but because I want them to feel like the things that they love they are competitive at and good at, and it makes them, it doesn't hurt them. It, it, it adds to them. Like, I just, I don't want them to be hurt by this thing that they love. And those are their sports, yeah. you know, those are their things. And, and I, it, it, yeah, it, it blows, man. It sucks. So I don't know what, I don't know is. if I ever made this point on the podcast, but I know I've made this point to you just in our private conversations that yeah. like, I, I don't think it was, it's, it's a fair criticism of the way the pandemic was handled at the time but in retrospect like out here at least they shut down school at the very beginning of the school year and they shut down sports the big 10 is a good example of this right yeah. uh i was thinking more about my kids when i first started talking but the big 10 is a good example of this too right they they delayed the start of the football season by a handful of weeks and then once they started up the pandemic was worse than it was in the beginning right like if you could go back and do it differently what we should have done is started school and sports early right? To try and cram in the season when it wasn't that terrible. And then once we get into the colder weather and the kind of cold and flu season, then you shut it down, right? I don't know if that makes sense, but it was, it's kind of backwards. I mean, given, given that we had tighter restrictions in the spring when the virus was not nearly this bad, I don't know. That is not informed by like any public health knowledge. It's just, no, I think, I think it's, it seems like it was, you know, <laughs> hey, we're the door. You, probably, you probably could have had college football games in August and September when it wasn't terrible, now maybe that would have accelerated the virus, but we are the nerds of sport for a reason. So, um, why are we so fucking backwards in this country compared to Europe? Um, I don't think I've ever actually asked this, asked this question to you while we were recording. I think I know your answer, but for like, for frame of reference, Bundesliga is trying to cram in all of these matches over the next few days. Why? It's because Germany is going to shut down again, like in a few yeah. days. So, I mean, are we hurting ourselves by being so fucking ignorant? Or is this one of those things where we've just kind of given up and we're willing to, to allow 3,000 people to die a day? Like, what, what's your read on yeah. this? We both listened to the same daily podcast, the New York Times podcast. Yeah. And uh, one of the guys they had on the other day made the, essentially that point, right? Which is if you, if you just – the, the unspoken thing that's going on is that we've just given up on, on trying to control the virus in any way besides waiting for a vaccine to happen, which is different than other countries. That it's just, you know, by hook or by crook, we're going to get to herd immunity. Um, well, that's probably not a good idea, but – but I think I think that goes to your point, right? That it's just sort of a refusal to accept the realities of of the situation and the times that we're living in, probably for the worse. Do you think sports played a part in some of this? Like the return of the NBA in the summer, the return of, you know, Major League Baseball in the summer, where 
for a lot of us who are sports fans, I mean, a large proportion of the country is, is they're sports fans or they care in some capacity about sports. Do you think it, it, it numbed the severity of things a little bit and maybe that Europe just didn't have, um, you know, I'm not going to say sports don't matter in Europe, but we have a lot yeah. more games, I guess, that get prominence than those countries around the world. Do you think that sports maybe played a part in that? I mean, that's definitely the way we were talking about it early on when kind of everything was shut down in the spring, right? And the start of the baseball season got pushed back and, and they were trying to come up with these models for, for potentially a way to, to play sports safely. That seemed to be the idea, right? That if you had sports, you have something for people to watch, some entertainment, some something that's a little bit lighter, uh, something that's kind of serves serves as a distraction. I don't know, more and more, and I haven't thought about this a ton, so this is just sort of my gut reaction to your question, is that it it seems almost more like that's a cover for, well, we need sports because sports make a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, because the, the logic of it has... I mean, we've jumped the shark at least i mean in terms of college football right just just wild you look at and you and i've spent a lot of time texting about this right just look at the big 10 standings where you've got northwestern's going to win uh the the west in the big 10 by virtue of having the same number of losses but potentially fewer wins than than iowa which is crazy you've got you know cu who was 4-0 in the in the Pac-12 played what like a one in one Utah team like it's the the a, a foundational premise of sports is that you play the same number of games as everybody else because that gives us some kind of standardized way to compare each other right if we both play ten games and I win nine and you win eight then you know by at least some logic I'm better than you but again that's totally fucking disappeared. Yeah. <laughs> in, a, in a lot of these sports but we're still pretending like we have meaningful ways to compare these people and, and to me that's just it's it, it really goes to again the unspoken part which is college football makes a lot of money um you know <laughs> I, one sec somebody's knocking on my door i'll be right back one sec because now it's a good transition we had to talk about ohio state <laughs> Shout out to my dad who required me to sign a package because he's worried about people stealing stuff from our porch. So that's <laughs> sign for a package. Thanks, Dad. Really Whatever you do, it certainly sound like you were taking a leak. I did that too. Yeah. You got you got you got to mute these days. No, I I opened the door, <laughs> signed for it, and I had to take a pee. So uh, I killed two birds with one stone. Is that still not the funniest story of the pandemic? I don't know if funny is the right word, but the guy who like whipped out his yeah, he's fired now, him. right? I know. Like, was what? he masturbating? What? Was he masturbating? Or I, was I, he... I don't think that. I don't think they said that. But I think. I think the answer is yes. Um, I think I want to add a segment to our show, which is. 
I'm not adding that segment. No, 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 but it reminds me. (laughs) What's the best podcast you've listened to since we last recorded? Ah. I'm not going to be as good at that segment because I listen to the daily in the morning in the shower, and that's it. So the daily. The daily. Which episode? I mean, I listen to all of them. I listen to it every day. Who's your favorite daily guest? I'm not sure I know him well enough to say that. I love the the science writer. What's the name? You, uh, McNeely, the guy who was like in February of last year, like, oh, there's a pandemic coming. <laughs> Do you remember that episode? I don't remember that at all. Oh my god, I remember like I was at the. G- this is not a brag, at all. I was running at the gym at school, and this brag. guy was Eugene, Eugene McNeely. He was like, oh, there's a huge pandemic coming. Like, I'm, I'm, I, I mean, he's like a super germaphobe and everything. And he was right about fucking everything. <laughs> that was my favorite interview ever. I remember like coming home and be like, Catherine, I, I think we're fucked. <laughs> I heard this thing, this made me think about it for some reason, that, you know, that how far off they were about when the, when the virus actually first came to the United States. Really? Right. You know, at first they thought they were saying like February and then in the you know beginning of the, the summer, end of the spring, they were saying actually it may have shown up in like December, uh, January, maybe December. Um, I can't even remember where I read this or heard this, but there was a, a group that did some research. It was actually, I think, fucking brilliant. It never would have occurred to me. They went to like a, a big national blood bank and they just got like a couple thousand samples and then tested it for the coronavirus. And it's dated, right? Like when people donated yeah, blood. Yeah. And they're like, oh, this shit was here in like October, November. Of no way. Yeah, it was like significant too. It was like a couple thousand um, tests that they did on these blood samples. And it was in like eight or nine of them. It wasn't like one sample had it or something like that. Holy shit. Yeah, it was, but also I was like, man, I would never even have thought, how could we go back and figure out when this thing was there? I wonder if I can find this article and send it to you. I heard it somewhere, it might've been on the daily. Well, a lot of college campuses are, they're testing the, the waste from dorms. Are you familiar with Gross. that? Well, <laughs> no. Well, it shows up, basically it allows like a CU, which is kind of on the forefront of this. If you've got a dorm where there are no tests or there are no, there's no positive test in the school, like in the, in the sewage, then you don't have to worry about like testing that dorm for COVID, if that makes hmm. sense. Yeah. But if you've got, the other dorm that has it, okay, now everybody gets tested. So it's a way for you to like kind of limit how much testing you have to do, kind of lower your... What a, what a shitty job, though, you know what I'm saying? Ohio, hey, there he is, there he is. Um, send that link to me. Let's talk Ohio State, Indiana, and, and all that shit. Yeah. Real quick, COVID-19 may have arrived in the United States by December 2019, I guess maybe not October, wow. uh, November. Um, before the disease was even identified in China... The study researchers from the Centers of Disease Control and Prevention analyzed more than 7,000 blood donations collected by the American Red Cross in nine states between December 13, 2019 and January 17, 2020. Of those, 106 samples tested positive for the antibodies against SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID-19. The findings suggest that SARS-CoV-2 infections may have been present in the U.S. in December 2019, earlier than previously recognized, the authors wrote in their paper published Monday, November 30th in the Journal of Clinical Infectious Diseases. Wow. I, I, I heard this thing somewhere probably on npr and then like no one ever talked about it again it's pretty wild 
But I thought I came from a, a lab in, in China. Well, it, it, isn't that why this is really interesting that like yeah. a lot of our public health response was That's like, a we, joke, should shut, people. we should shut, yeah, it wasn't, yeah. But we should shut down travel. Well, if it was fucking there in December, oh shutting down God. travel in April doesn't do nothing, right? Well, that's what Trump did. He shut down travel. He made the executive decision. Um, my favorite podcast, by the way, is called. Um, Hold on, yeah, he didn't really shut down travel, but no, it's interesting now. Yes. New podcast, Brian. By the way, we're talking about podcasts. Before we get into the last segment, Knowledge Fight, everybody. I told Brian Schrader about this this morning. Amazing. It is Dan and Jordan. I don't know their last names. Sorry, guys. But they just basically break down episodes of the Alex Jones show. <laughs> Every oh, day. Yeah. You do. I was like, which, which podcast did you tell me about this? Oh, time? it's amazing. Uh, the most and recent my response to when you texted me that was doing the Lord's work, but also like pretty <laughs> low hanging fruit. You know, do you need an hour long podcast to make fun of Alex Jones? Like they're smart though. The it's podcast really good. could it's... just be Alex Jones talking. What do you mean? Yeah. Uh, you guys you want Weird videos of that dude driving like 200 miles an hour, drinking vodka out of an igloo or whatever. I mean, he's crazy. Yeah, yeah, he's literally crazy. But I mean, I like it when they pick apart the people who follow Alex Jones. The uh, the Joe Rogan episode was was the best because I'm not a Joe Rogan fan. If we lose listeners because you're Joe Rogan fans, I'm not sorry. Um, it's a garbage he's the person. Highest rated podcast ever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, ever. Wow. Not sports nerds. I listened listened to his podcast for like maybe a week and he's had some interesting guests, like whatever you think about him, but that dude records like six podcasts a week and they're like three hours long. You, I mean, here's my dig. Okay. You need to get paid to listen to that podcast. Here's the criticism. And I don't think it's, it's not mine. Smarter people than you and I have said this and I don't think they're wrong. Joe Rogan is not smart enough to have on and interview a lot of his guests. He's just not, and I know that that's like, that sounds mean, but, but you have to be a fucking journalist. You have to be an academic. Like there's a lot of times where you have to ask these people really hard questions and he just doesn't do it. He just no. goes, oh, okay. Interesting. It's, it's like, true no, you need to like, like push on them a little bit. For every like interesting smart person he has on there, he has just like an insane aliens built the pyramids crackpot. Yeah, and yeah. he does not triage <laughs> who's making That's like really credible word. claims and who is just spreading absolutely total fucking nonsense. No, he likes um, attention. He's in. He likes attention. Yeah. I mean, I think he admits that he's super duper high when he's doing all this stuff. Right? Doesn't okay. he like smoke weed with a lot of these people? But that's what the, that's what the podcast sounds like, right? It's like a stoner reacting to something that could either be genuinely interesting or just totally farcical, and not being able to, you know, kind of have the critical thinking skills to be like, hmm, that doesn't make any sense. The thing you're saying doesn't stand a reason. Instead, he's just like awestruck, yeah. like in stonerific fashion about it. Yes. Like, whoa, you just blew my mind. Like that should be the name of this fucking podcast. Best interviewer on podcasts, Peter Kafka for Recode Media. That dude is, I remember when Dan Patrick used to be a good interviewer and he would make people feel like uncomfortable. Like he'd like press people and Kafka is so good at it. Like he'd be like, ah, that's kind of bullshit. Uh, I actually want to ask you, like answer my question. <laughs> answer my question. Like, Interesting. Uh, yeah, it's, he's so good, man. He's so good. Uh, uh, Kara Swisher. 
also works for Recode. Same thing. Like just, I mean, she put, um, what's his name? Zuckerberg's feet to the fire one time in an interview. And she was like, yeah, that's, that's just kind of bullshit. You're fucking lying. Like, that's not what you're doing. You dumbass. <laughs> you should I mean, start a third podcast where you review podcasts. Uh, it, only if I can do it with you. I don't spend enough time with Brian. I don't Schrader. listen to it. I don't listen to enough podcasts. Let's wrap up our episode today with uh, what are your thoughts on the Big Ten stepping in and giving Ohio State the Big Ten title game? Uh, but also, just what's gonna like? What are your thoughts on what's gonna happen this weekend? Because or what's gonna what, what's gonna happen with the end of the 2020 college football season? Do you care? Are you pissed? What what's your emotional reaction, but also your academic perspective on it? I really didn't think this would be this would be me, but I just, I've the entire season has been very hard to get into, the canceled games, the the unequal schedules, all of that stuff has just been, it's really just kind of killed my wood for it. If, yeah. if you know what I mean, it's just like yeah. it's it's really hard to get into. Um, changing the changing the six game rule for Ohio State to be able to play in that in that game, we texted about it quite a bit. Like it just makes you wonder if it wasn't Ohio State. Right. Yeah. If it was, say it was, it was the Indiana. other, say it was the other way around. Say it was uh, Ohio State who was on the uh, on the inside, and it was Indiana on the outside looking in. Right? Um, would you would you change the would you change the rule then? Um, from a business perspective, it makes a lot of sense, right? For the for the Big Ten to risk having one of its teams who's ranked in the top four not make it to a playoff if that playoff happens doesn't seem doesn't seem like they would ever, they would ever let that happen. Um, and to be fair, the more I read about this, it wasn't the big 10 unilaterally making that decision. They went to all the athletic directors at all these big 10 schools and, and got their input on it. And all the big 10 schools, I think were like, yeah, you should probably, it's probably for the, for the better good for this to happen. But I still, I still wonder if it was Indiana or if it was Northwestern or if it was Iowa or if it was whoever, if it wasn't a marquee program, if, if they would have, if they would have, change the rules in in the exact same way um yeah well to be clear i mean to be totally frank you know i'm an iowa diehard gary barda is the head of the cfp and he was supportive of what happened so like for all those iowa fans out there who are pissed off about this like rad is the one who put a lot of energy into that decision so yeah 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 i don't know I'm not, I'm not, I'm not at any point going to say it was the, the wrong decision, but I just, the, the reasons that you make a decision are oftentimes as important, if not more important than the decision that you make. Yeah. And I don't think we're being super transparent about what the calculations were that went into that decision being made. It's not like there's a curtain pulled back about the conversations that were had, you know, with or across these, these ADs. So um, I think it's I think it's troublesome. Um, another part of your question, I think, was are we even going to have a playoff? And that'll be really interesting. Um, I guess it's possible if we get down to four teams, they can do some kind of a quarantine and then, you know, uh, maybe have some kind of a bubble. Um, I, I've said this to you, but I think that if there's ever been a, a good argument for expanded playoff uh, or some sort of dramatic change, like just d- d- deep down college football was not, designed to have a playoff and this really exposes that right um notre dame having to play inside of the the acc um teams only having conference conference schedules and not having non-conference schedules um the way those schedules played out in the first place not having flex games i mean all these things that we've just sort of 
allowed to happen over the years um, without without really pushing back a ton seem much crazier to me now. So yeah, I don't are know. we seeing like just how disparate power is in college athletics in ways that it isn't in professional sports right now? Like, I guess my point being, there's no union for college athletes, so they can't push for a larger playoff. They can't push for canceling a season. None of this. They are basically at the beck and call of university presidents, um, conference presidents, ESPN, Fox, all of this stuff. Does this lead to something bigger in terms of the kind of gathering and unionization organization of labor for college sports? What's your read on that? If I had to guess, I would say like the the major shakeup that's going to cause a change in college college football or even college, college athletics more more broadly is going to be teams just just you know getting out of the NCAA right, which is it's not a governing body like like the NFL or like Major League Baseball is. That's not that's not how it operates. Um, similarly with with conferences, right? These schools can choose to be a part of them or not, right? So I think eventually what you what you might see is either either this will actually happen or the threat of it will motivate change where you see where you see schools um break away from the ncaa and and start to to compensate players i don't know exactly what that'll look like and then and then you'll have kind of um competition and choice for student athletes to decide do i want to go and play in a more traditional you know a BCS NCAA football organization where I'm not going to be paid um, where maybe in the short term, it's more likely that I get high level exposure or am I willing to, you know, join the, the XFL of college football or whatever. <laughs> but what does that do I, though? But what does that do to your one and two star athletes that every, like, that's the thing. Every NFL team needs three quarters, non-pro bowlers four-fifths non-pro bowlers, you know, yeah, people who yeah. are not Tom Brady, but you still need two backups to Tom Brady. So what happens – isn't that just going to kind of stratify college football in the way the NFL has been stratified? Or, I don't – like, what, what happened? Like, can Alabama afford to have three five-star quarterbacks on their, on their, uh, their roster and, you know um, – Two of them never see playing time? I, I don't know. I understand what you're saying, but it's going to take a long time for this to play out. Well, well, no, because I think once you actually – if you actually start compensating players – it, it depends on what that compensation looks like, right? But if, if the compensation is that players have some sort of capacity for negotiating how much compensation they get based on um, their perceived skill level, uh, presumably you would have – something akin to a salary cap that would that the, theoretically would create more parity in college sports. Would it not? Yeah. 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 That's a good point. I just don't think that anybody in college football is that smart or college athletics is smart enough to do that. If that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, you'd, you'd have to get, I mean, it would, you'd have to have like a pretty big, a pretty big schism and, and, and you'd have to have some colleges that are willing to, to sort of break away. But listen, I mean, I also, don't you have enough schools that have, 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 perceived slights against them that you could see doing it right like if you're a boise state or um i I don't know give me some other schools that were bubble teams for a handful of years and feel like they got 
uh, ranked lower than they should have because they weren't a BCS. Utah, team. Utah before they Utah, yeah, right. Um, I mean, I, I imagine you, you get a handful of those schools together that are like, you know, forget the NCAA and forget your playoff and we'll go do our own thing. Yeah. And, you know, schools that are willing to to entertain compensating athletes. I mean, that may be, be the bigger problem, right? Because Northwestern got the closest a few years ago when, when players tried to unionize. And Northwestern's answer was like, well, you can do that and that's fine. But then we just, we just won't have football. Yeah. Because it's not that important to us. But, but I think that's different. I think Northwestern, like that's the, the, the similarities between Northwestern and Alabama stop yeah. there. Yeah. One is yeah. Uh, an academic powerhouse and the other one's a big state school in Alabama. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I think this is, this is shown us just uh, to go back to the Ohio state decision, just the arbitrary nature of college athletics. It's, it's, Maybe of sports, quite honestly. Um, this shit's just kind of made up. <laughs> In a lot of ways, it's just made up as you go. And this year, I guess yeah, is, this year has shown us that. But is the main problem with with college athletics is that there's, there's a, a way to control in professional sports for, for parity, right? That there's rules about recruiting and there's salary caps and there's draft order uh, yeah. controls that make sure that one team just by virtue of being the best the year before doesn't get all of the other top players. Right. Yeah. You can't yeah. spend unlimited amounts of money. You can't, um, mm-hmm. you know, go and recruit every single player if they're under contract, you know, all the different things we see from, from different professional sports that there is nothing akin to that in college football, right? Point. You can go and get the, the limitations are what, how many scholarships you have, which ain't a real limitation. Yeah. Right. That's good, and that's a and, good point. And you're not supposed to pay players under the table. We know that that happens anyways. It's frustrating. So, Very I mean, like, I, I think that's where you get something that looks, that looks more like, like parody. Again, not that that doesn't have its downsides, right? I mean, like the Raiders Jets a few weeks ago, lots of discussions about whether or not the Jets gave up on that game so they can get uh, Trevor Lawrence from um, uh, wherever that took place, Clemson. So, I they're, re- they're really good at drafting quarterbacks. Really good. The Jets. Um, on that note, uh, Brian Schrader and I are going to end the Nerds of Sport podcast. And uh, any closing comments? Good, sir? No, that was fun. Right. I'm not going to hang up. I'm just going to stop recording so we can, we can keep talking. But thanks, everybody, for listening. And uh, happy holidays and, and be safe. Uh, I guess I'll edit this and put it out there. Look. All right, later, pal. Edit it out. You taking a whiz? Yeah, see. Yeah, see ya. <laughs> Just got your asses whipped by a bunch of goddamn nerds.